Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 118. Um, we are still in the season of Beyond a Joke and we will be for quite a while and I am continuing to be grateful um, to people for bringing along something that has made them laugh as sort of a opening volley into a conversation about craft and um, works works of art that are sometimes immediately funny and sometimes seem to have, um, you know, to, to deal with more serious issues and just the way that laughter kind of intersects with um, some of these harder topics. So with that in mind, um, I do just want to give a content warning for this podcast. Um, there is some discussion of gender-based violence um, and yeah, so I just I just say that so that you can make some decisions around when, how or whether you listen to this podcast. Um, this is a podcast where I get to talk to Rajula Das um, about her award-winning novel, Small Deaths. Um, it is an incredible book. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's one of the most compassionate and intelligent and well-crafted and beautifully imagined um, book that I've read in a long time. So um, this book is set in Shonagachi in um, Kolkata and it sort of orbits um, the violent murder of a sex worker. Um, It's compelling, it's amazing, it's incredible and it is now finally available in Aotearoa, New Zealand and in a lot of countries this week. Um, It will be possible to read this book when before it has not been. Um, I am really grateful to Rajula um, for taking some time um, to chat with me. Um, she's really busy and yeah, it, w- it was wonderful to have a conversation with her about her book and also the the, the um, double generosity, triple generosity, quadruple generosity of being willing to bring along this quite funny cartoon as a way into a conversation. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for the openness of doing that. Um, the cartoon kind of, you know, it starts with a, it starts us on this discussion of seagulls and um, monkeys, and um, but through sort of the way that this joke kind of skews a well-known narrative, um, we're able to sort of use that as a segue into talking about how we rewrite or challenge dominant stories in our cultures that are about um, sex work. Um, Rajula also talks about the pragmatics of writing the book, sort of the, um, there's a little bit about the writer's life, which is really great. And um, also, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those great conversations where it's kind of a balance between the pragmatics of craft, but also um, the philosophy behind the book, the ideas behind the book. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I'm very grateful. Um, In this conversation we do talk a little bit about the 2016 Indian banknote demonetization. Um, this was um, a moment in time where the um, Indian government um, um, revoked um, the 5,000 and 1,000 rupee note as legal tender and um, yeah it's an astounding time and I have really enjoyed reading more about it. Um, the sort of anti-capitalist and Marxist in me is just very interested in um, this sort of stark moment where we really, really realise that a banknote is only a promise to pay. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, the book deals with this as well and in beautiful ways. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop talking because I think 
Yeah, this is just, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing um, to the newsletter if you have. Um, if you haven't, you can go to betteroffred.substack.com. Whoa, that was a New Zealand accent moment, New Zealand. Um, and you can um, subscribe. And um, I occasionally send newsletters in between the podcasts. So yeah, you're most welcome um, to that. Anyway. Thank you so much and thank you massively to Rajula Das. Hi Rajula, how are you? Hi Pip, I'm good, thank you. It's so lovely to see you. Thank you so much for thank coming Thank you along. for having me on the podcast. Yeah, it's just great. It's so great. Um, I was wondering, we always start these podcasts off with me asking you to introduce yourself, however you want to introduce yourself. Right. Um, I'm very bad at this, but <laughs> my name is Rajula Das. I am an author and a translator. I translate from Bengali to English. And um, recently I've been the festival programmer for Verb Readers and Writers Festival, which many of our listeners might be familiar with. Yes, it's one of our favourite, it's one of our favourite um, festivals. I, I say our, my, it's one of my favourite festivals. Um, and um Something really exciting is that um, your book, which has been out for a wee while, is about to become available in um, New Zealand and America, eh? And England. And yeah, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, how do you describe that book to people? Oh, um, like, yes, descriptions are always so hard, <laughs> especially um, because the it's the same book that has... Um, come out in in India last year in July with the title A Death in Shonagachi and it is um, the same book which is titled Small Deaths and is coming out in the US and the rest of the world except India (laughs) (laughs) on September 13th so it is the same book but it has two different titles and of course they're a year and a half apart and you sort of worked on both versions (laughs) so it's very hard to describe that to people but um, yeah it is a novel it's got a very large cast of characters and it is set in Asia's largest red light district which happens to be called Shonagachi and is a neighborhood in North Calcutta yeah Oh my gosh. And I feel like, like, I feel tremendously lucky to have read it. It is such a magnificent book, Rajola. I just, yeah, I loved it from the first page to the last. It's just so good. Congratulations. Thank you, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, now, I've been asking everybody to um, bring something along that has made them laugh. And I wonder, um, yours is brilliant. And I just wonder, it's a bit hard. I will put it on the website, but I wonder if you could just describe it a little bit. Yeah, I'll I'll try. It's a New Yorker <laughs> cartoon and it's got um a car full of seagulls <laughs> and one seagull leaning out of the driver's seat. Um he has I feel like he has a lot of like middle-aged white man dad energy. <laughs> he looks very entitled and he's leaning out of the car seat and he's uh placing an order in a drive-through and um <laughs> the legend just says repeating back your order. You wanted all the fries <laughs> within quotation marks. <laughs> 
<laughs> that I, I think you picked up on something so good. Like I, the, his stance is just magnificent. Yeah. Like he's sort of elbow out. Yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. he's ready to go. Um, Can you, like you only saw this, like, like I think it's not an old one, is it? Like, it's not even the old one. When you, when you asked me what made me laugh and I was like, damn it, I haven't laughed in a while. <laughs> I was quite sad about it. I was like, damn it, is my life that sad? I haven't I can't remember the last thing that made me laugh. This is this is so annoying. And I was just um a couple of the New Yorkers had come in that day and I was like angrily flipping through and then I, I saw this and that made me laugh and I was like, Alright, I'm not gonna overthink it. I'm just gonna go with the first thing that I can see is making me laugh right now. Yeah, it definitely cheered up my day. I'll put it that like when that arrived in my inbox I was just like what you know like it's got it's one of those laughs eh? like it just like it's sort of um what's the word I'm looking for it kind of um bypasses all logic and just like is suddenly funny like, yeah it's, it's very <laughs> funny um and you mentioned um in the email um that you know it kind of in, in reminded you of other experiences in New Zealand and I was just thinking yeah like do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, it's um I I mean I've definitely seen seagulls before but like just because my all the seagull experiences I can remember are really related to New Zealand for me like mm, over mm. the last six years and it's, it's whether you know like we've done so many road trips and there's always these seagulls <laughs> when you're trying to eat somewhere like and um, I've always um, I like I used to really like seagulls and after moving to New Zealand I was like they're just thugs they're, they're, <laughs> they're little thugs they're like they're actually white monkeys they're bird-shaped monkeys mm, like mm, mm. they want all your food they terrorize you they you know they attack you <laughs> they attack each other it's like gang wars like wherever you go with the, like they um, seem to argue with themselves but they're way better at being a gang eh? Like. yeah 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 and then you can spot the you know like the one in the driver's seat which has this like <laughs> real like you know I'm the big dude I'm the alpha seagull energy so they've got those and they've got the little runs who don't who get the smallest of fries or none at all and I just I just think they're so funny but um yeah it's just like um it, and it just just goes so well with um sometimes families you see on vacation and where you know the dad's very dad and the mom's very mom (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's so true and like it's interesting usually comparing them to monkeys because I was thinking like um a few years ago I got to go um to Durban in South Africa and it was the first time I'd been around you know monkeys like in a place where there were monkeys and of course I was there with my friends who lived there and I was like oh monkeys and they were like nope 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 (laughs) don't don't make eye contact because these were very naughty monkeys the ones that came and took all our food and yeah I have the funniest monkey story (gasps) would you mind sharing it not at all um yeah I have the funniest monkey story I don't mind sharing it my partner might but he's probably not going (laughs) to listen to the podcast (laughs) so it's okay so we went to India Uh, it was his first trip to India um and he was he was just a friend at that point of time 
and we went to Agra to see the Taj Mahal and um, he, he came with me and Agra is full of monkeys, Delhi Agra is full of monkeys. So Taj Mahal, uh, you see people and you see these like literally hundreds of monkeys like just lining all around the Taj. He, I told him repeatedly, don't mess with the monkeys. Just <laughs> you don't fuck with the monkeys here. It's just like, like I grew up in India. Indian monkeys are serious monkeys. Like they're like you don't fuck with Indians, you don't fuck with Indian monkeys. Like they're just they're just gonna mess with you. So I told him and he didn't listen to me and he was like oh, kuchi monkey 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 and then the monkey came and tried to um uh, the monkeys came and tried to get the camera off of him. Um, just, just, just grabbed the camera off oh of his hands. So, so he, he he put his uh, the small monkeys. So he held the camera above his head. So mm. he just put both of his hands mm. above his head and held the camera, uh, which is when the monkey just sort of looked at him and pulled down his pants. <laughs> <laughs> He had both his hands above his head, and the monkey just pulled down his 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 pants. So my partner was standing in his underwear in the middle of Taj Mahal, and I'm really not exaggerating. Every single person around clapped. <laughs> they just got around and they clapped, and I think this is possibly one of my partner's most embarrassing <laughs> memories ever. But it was like literally the funniest thing I've ever seen happen. I just so love that is a smart thing for the monkey to do. Like because the as soon as you pull those that someone will grab for their pants and then you can get the camera. Oh, such a smart monkey. It was smart monkey, but it was also like such perfect comic timing. <laughs> like everything was like a, a really rehearsed act and it was happening like in real time. Like sometimes real life is better than movies and this <laughs> is so good. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, right. I'm not going to fuck with monkeys. I, I'm definitely not. That, that sounds bad. Um, one of the things I was thinking about um, with this cartoon and, and, to, and the story, you know, uh, uh, that you just told, which is hilarious. Um, I'm just thinking like uh, sometimes humor is about the stories that we always tell and then we sort of subvert them. It's like we all know that seagulls like fries wouldn't it be hilarious that they went to the drive-thru? Um, you know, like, you know the monkeys are bad. Wouldn't it be funny someone who didn't know they were bad, you know, yeah. had a different story about the monkeys? Yeah. And Small Deaths does quite an interesting job of presenting, yeah, all sorts of things that I think we've told stories about over and over and over again, but with a new eye. And I wonder... I don't know. I'm not sure even how to formulate a question, but I'm just interested in the writerly desire to sort of change the story, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And it's um, it, it's because when you start writing a novel about sex work and prostitution and prostitutes in a third world country, mm. there is a set of expectations and um, I've just been writing an essay about it recently and it just um, I've just been thinking about these issues and it, it's almost like a, the narrative has a gravitational pull mm. of itself that you're constantly at least I felt 
day you constantly had to sort of actively resist it mm-hmm. it's not just uh, a subconscious resistance you have to make active choices at the level of writing at the level of editing rewriting re-editing whatever those many stages are of constantly having to choose something different mm. than um than what you're even probably we are conditioned to to um choose mm. so uh it's uh, you know there is there the figure of the prostitute you know to to actually um put it that way in literature is this is this it has its own history it has its um tropes and expectations and so many things especially the the whore with the heart of gold mm, mm. sort of thing and mm. um there are elements that come into a narrative like love death sex mm. and we have very set expectations about what those things mean for a sex worker for mm. example mm. so the, writing it i guess what i'm trying to say is that writing it in the process of writing it it was a very conscious deliberate constant choosing to not write what is expected mm. and um i didn't know a lot when i started writing the book um but i knew two things one is that i didn't want to invent tragedy mm it's it's always not set right with me um it's when it comes to writing about sexual violence or um yeah sexual violence violence against gendered bodies to invent tragedy it always seems insulting to reality mm mm uh, because there is reality is is bad enough and um we haven't quite found the language of looking at sexual violence and mm. gendered violence or showing it or talking about it or consuming it mm. or portraying it however you want to look at it and um and i felt that that was the project to to write as write it as authentically as possible with as much empathy as possible uh with as little sentimentality as possible mm-hmm. and with as little um fanfare for a lack of a better word mm-hmm. i didn't want to stage it i didn't want to romanticize it i didn't want to glamorize it and i didn't want to make it consumable mm. but i wanted to look at it Mm. I just wanted to look at it as dispassionately and as as authentically as possible which sort of meant just making that a very conscious choice every single time which I suppose ended up going against the way these stories are usually told if that makes sense yeah because yeah. I think one of the things that I found incredibly compelling about the book is this um this idea of having the language to talk about this and i think that there's something the pressure on the language in the book is so um like well placed if you know what i mean like it, it it's like it, it it's it's perfectly put under pressure to a point where it sort of feels like a diamond and i'm just wondering 
when we do write these things and try to write them in different ways, we almost are trying to invent a new language, eh? And I just wonder, is that something that you felt like you would write a sentence and think, yeah, that feels right? Or is it something that you had people that you looked up to that you thought that you read and sort of tried to emulate? Or how how do you make room for this sort of brand new thing that you're writing? Like how how do you do that? Oh, thanks. Thanks. That's so sweet. Um, no, most of the most of the polishing of the language was was coming from a place of deep insecurity because mm, mm. I thought that um, as I was just telling you earlier that I thought I was a certain kind of writer, a certain kind of literary writer. And um, and I was actually initially writing a very, um, very literary novel, which was boring everyone to tears including <laughs> me <laughs> and, I, and I was sort of cheating on my literary novel with this novel which mm. I was writing on the side for fun and this novel was flowing very fast and what happened with with that the language like you know writing it quite fast because it was really the story was flowing really fast was that it was inventing its own language so to speak and it it felt and to me it 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 didn't feel like it was up to my standards you know so <laughs> so so I, I i kind of went back and it just like the sentences would make me cringe a lot and i just i guess the way i work as a writer is it takes me a very long time to to like i've published three short stories for now all of them have taken me an average of 3.5 to 4.5 years mm, mm. to finish. So I, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm very, and I like the ability to do that in short fiction because mm. you can control the punctuation to a degree and and that feels right to me but you can't do that with a novel and, um, and it was my first novel and, and it just always felt like the language wasn't polished enough mm. so uh, I guess I was it was more about going line by line too many times to like save myself from some from the mediocrity and the cringe of it all um, but I think like more specifically I think what we're talking about is the language of um, of of the language that we used to talk about violence. And I've been thinking about that also recently. Um, and I think that it's my, my feeling for that is that it's different when you are a survivor of sexual violence and writing about sexual violence. Mm, mm. I think there is something alchemical about that. And, um, and I, and, and I don't know what it is, I, I, but I think that, you are you are possibly able to look at it authentically and dispassionately and without empathy um if you if you if you write around it or if you write about it mm. um without trying to theorize or without trying to um present mm. in some way mm. and i don't know if that's that's a helpful answer but it is um uh, i think it is I mean, of course, we have collectively more language around violence than we ever did in historically. Mm, mm, I think mm. we're standing at a moment where 
um, this is something. And you know, I actually wrote an essay about it recently, and I was um, it sort of made me focus on it. And um, I was really happy to be able to write it, and just how we grew up, and where we are now, and what makes me so much more optimistic about the younger generation is that they have words mm. that we never had. Mm. They have words like like consent was never a word mm. in in the world that I grew up in. Mm. Um, even toxic wasn't a word. I mean, it was a word. It just didn't mean what it means today, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, I'm just so glad that, because to be able to have, to be able to rem- remedy something, you need language around it. You mm. need to name it. And we just didn't have that language. And um, th- it, 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 so you know, so it makes me very happy that we're living in a time where that language is a available to younger people. Mm. Uh, and who, who use it, who use it quite frequently. Uh, and also that we have collectively come to this point where we can we can write this mm. and we can talk about this and we can think about it. And we have that, that um, lexical, uh, academic and emotional language mm. To, mm. to be able to, to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I I do um I hope it's okay to ask this, but I'm really interested in your PhD mm. um, work because mm. I think did you find that I think sometimes um, people put that writing in a different place, but everything you're saying it actually sounds like the PhD, which I understand was sort of about um, violence and and space, say eh? like mm. you know the spaces that we're allowed in and the mm. spaces we're not allowed in and that sort of thing, and I just wondered. Do you think the PhD resonates in the book? Oh, definitely, because I did it the other way around. I never took a break from kindergarten to PhD. <laughs> so I, went, I went straight kid from kindergarten to PhD, which was a very dumb thing to do, obviously. <laughs> but it was, uh, but it just basically meant that, like a year into a PhD program. I was, uh, and I also I also did one year of PhD program in India, and then I repeated a year of PhD coursework in Singapore. So I, Whoa. Like I, I was like a PhD veteran. <laughs> you could write it. You could do a TED talk about it. That is <laughs> like how to keep repeating Groundhog's Day <laughs> in your PhD program. Yeah, uh, and I, I was like, so basically, I just arrived. At, you know, at the end of my, not even end first middle of the first year of my PhD coursework I was completely burnt out mm, mm, I was mm, just mm. academically intellectual I had no intellectual curiosity and um, circumstances meant that I ended up in uh, a creative writing PhD instead of the the literature PhD that I had come to do because I'd, I'd been writing on the side so that was a stroke of luck um, and what I did I think was that because my intellectual curiosity was so low at that point of time that I just focused on writing the book. Mm, mm, mm. I just, um, because the idea of dropping out of a PhD program was unthinkable for some reason. Like, <laughs> like that was the worst. It was worse than death for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> the fate. <laughs> so, it's just, it's, I mean, looking back, it's very funny the ways we, we just like tie ourselves in knots. Yep. But, you know, I mean, I can laugh 
laugh about it now but it's just like when you look at like it's just culturally and everything there's so much so many knots there you just cannot it's like a fate worse than death my god the failure of it all <laughs> <laughs> so um so i i just i just focused on writing the book i was like okay i have to just write this novel and i'm a typical procrastinator but i can't really write a novel overnight mm. which is what i've been hacking you know like writing papers <laughs> two nights before i have to present them so i can't really do that so okay i have to just start writing a novel and then i just sort of um focused on writing the book mm. and when i'd written the book i was like all right so that's what the book is about so guess I should start my research. <laughs> so when I had my first draft, then I started going back and doing the research, so to speak, which did doesn't mean that I didn't know in what I was writing about because I think that there is a lot of focus, you know, like how we talk about books now. We focus a lot on the research, mm. quote unquote, that an author does. But there is there is a lot of um I mean I'm sure there's a beautiful word for it somewhere it's just there's a lot of like lived knowledge mm. of 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 things you know that it's not it's it's probably better than research you know like but we don't we don't often I mean we don't often talk about that um we we don't often talk about the things that we know from living in the world mm, mm, mm. and absorbing that so because of course I'd grown up in India as a young woman you know lived there so I I was aware of the work being done in shonagachi and you know li- life in shonagachi um from my days of volunteering and activism but the, the rest of the research like i, I wrote the book first mm, and mm, then i mm. went and so i think and then and then because the book has been written and rewritten over the years and um very importantly changed completely after demonetization happened in india because that was just that changed the landscape of mm. sex work mm, mm, mm. sex work is used to be was completely cash based mm, mm. industry it was that devastation of taking notes away was um uh, it was just insane it was a tsunami mm. so the the book was dead before it had been published because demonetization had happened so so i guess like the the research the formal research the phd research and the book fed each other but i definitely waited mm. i waited for the book to happen to tell me where i should look It's a really beautiful explanation of the process. You know, I really like that idea of the book directing the research. I think that works really well. And like that is one of the things that I found um incredibly compelling in the book and interesting is the way that the cooperative works and the way that money um just like this um sort of shadow or alternative banking system that's in there like that was incredibly interesting and i think this again is that wonderful product of not trying to do the usual story you know what i mean like because of this the the authenticity that you're talking about you know this is a job there is money involved money changes hand what happens to that money after it happens so yeah it's really those bits are very interesting 
Thanks. Yes. I mean, it's and you sort of despair knowing things because at the end of the day, you're an outsider, mm. and it's it's impossible to know sometimes. You know, like like tracking where money goes mm. in in a developing country, in and basically an illegal profession is 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 impossible mm. in some ways. But um, it is it is a very vital part. Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely. And um, this is one of the things that I think works extremely well as well, sort of jumping off from that. And I think as part of the reason that it reads so authentically is um, the structure of the book and that we're sort of handed over from person to person to person. You know, we, we start with a person, then we move to another person. And it means that we're getting almost like jigsaw puzzle pieces of the story, which makes it really it, it feels peopled if you know what I mean like it doesn't feel like one solar kind of you know um not solar what's the word but you know one focused view of the outlook like I just I guess I'm always interested in tips about writing characters about distinguishing their voices and distinguishing their experience and I just wonder like did the book begin with that large cast of characters or was it something that came a little later and again was it sort of a feeling thing like did you think oh yes this sounds like Layla this sounds like um people yeah like how have any thoughts on like I guess any tips on that kind of like that kind of structure I mean tips on structure from a (laughs) process point of view is is uh honestly I did it was um color coding yeah your um chapters for characters wow <laughs> i just i just because um this is this is at a later stage of mm. editing mm. um you know in the in the middle like f- fifth draft mm. where you're you really you know the story you kind of in the trenches in the you know in the mud pit <laughs> it's just like you know uh, yeah wrestling with with the structure uh, or the telling and the narrative uh what i did was i sort of grouped the characters under what i you know um because there are groups of characters that have interests different interests of why they're interest intersecting in the books so my two main characters were Lali and Tilu. Um, Lali was red, Tilu was violet, which kind of looks similar. Um, and then the the sex workers and the activists who work among sex workers, uh, those chapters were blue and green. And um, the police were, I think, yellow or something. So like distinct like color groups so that when I had the thumbnails um, and I zoomed out, I could see how much space a story line was taking mm-hmm. with the buds because that's the biggest problem with a novel. You can't step back and see <laughs> what's happening. So I, I color-coded. <laughs> that, that's my hot tip for... <laughs> one hot tip for knowing. Uh, but yeah, I, I do see them as, as, as weights on the rubber mat, you know, like where your story is... Um, is um is dipping or where it's weighted where it is less weighted and stuff like that but um just going back to before that stage i i mean all the characters came fully formed except lali lali was the central lacuna i would say that i was writing around it just Mm. felt Mm. unknowable 
as it's a not it's not a on voices novel i have i'm not completely divorced from the milieu because you know i'm a young woman mm. who's grown up in india and i mean i know the also i know the the people that i'm talking about but at the end of the day i am not a pros- a sex worker that's been working in shanagachi or has been trafficked um into sex work as a child so there is a certain amount of there's a lacuna there and i think i think it's worth respecting and acknowledging that there is a lacuna there and to try to write around that instead of trying to fill it i think that's the only way to be i don't know ethical about it oh my god i love that so much because i think that is a, the very real sense that i got in the book do you know what i mean and it's through this writing around that she sort of is um sort of respected and stands do you know what i mean like there's there's mm. a there's something about the way that this writing around effect that you're doing means that she seems to stand um more on her own there's something really interesting about what's going on there and I think you're right I think that yeah like I mean anything else is is really tricky one of the things that um I was wondering about the structure like Mm. um it isn't completely divorced from yeah I might have this all wrong but one of the things that I thought was very clever was the way that the crime kind of holds everything together if you Mm. know what I mean like this thing you were saying like Mm. everyone has an interest Mm. but it all seemed the magnetic so the magnetic thing that pulls all the iron sand to it is 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 the crime Mm. and I don't know like is was that um what am I trying to say I just think it's really clever I guess is what I'm saying and I just wonder if you real not realize but I mean if that was the intent or I've just picked up on something because I do also realize that we're sort of um I feel like I'm sort of prone to pick up certain things, you know mm. what I mean? And I yeah, think that yeah, yeah. the the story of a police investigation is a relatively, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, I can sort of hold on to that. But I wonder how you see, I love this idea of sort of the weights on the rubber mat. And mm. I just wonder how you see that crime that's at the centre of the story. Right? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. That was the intention. And there is a death that happens in the first chapter. Mm. And that's mm. just like, you know, that's the... That's where the title comes from. I see the death as that piece of stone that falls into the pond and the entire novel is the ripples Mm, of that mm, death. mm, mm. So I didn't set out to write a thriller or Mm. a mystery or a noir or any of those things. And I I think that, I personally think that it's not a good thriller. Like I I don't (laughs) think that I'm a good thriller writer. (laughs) Everybody who wants to buy it as a thriller to buy it as a thriller. Warning. <laughs> Warning. I just but I wanted I wanted to see what happens when a death like like I wanted to investigate what deaths do we let slip through the cracks. Mm. Because we're making a choice. There we always make a choice. We, there are some deaths we let slip through the cracks and there are some deaths that we investigate and there are some deaths we get outraged about and there is there is a sorting that happens you Mm, know mm. and I wanted to see what about when these deaths that we let slip through slip through the cracks happen what happens Mm, mm. and 
just coming back to relating it back to the question about POVs and chapters is that I there's like there's the two two things there I I don't think a crime happens to a person mm. it's never individual it's a collective experience crime is a collective experience it never just happens to one person it happens to everybody that comes in contact to especially a brutal mm. violence and especially sexual violence especially violence against women or gendered bodies or you know brutal violence things like that and um it it's just it, it's just inauthentic to see it from one person's point of view mm. Mm. there are and that's where and and sex work and calcutta and i just don't think that there was a authentic way of writing about sex work or calcutta or sex work in calcutta or a death of a sex worker in calcutta without bringing in every every stakeholder to use that term you know that very hated term in our <laughs> bureaucratic wellington but it's um there are you know there is everybody has a stake in this death you know or uh, is either hurt by it or is moved by it or is outraged by it or profits by it mm, mm. and and you can't really write a book that's not polyphonous Mm. when something like that happens. Yeah, I lo- I I really I really like what you're saying. Like I just think I love that idea of sort of the um pebble dropped and mm. the ripples become the the novel because it just it it allows it's sort of a, this amazing incident which means that people that might not normally meet are coming together and there are conversations happening that may not normally have happened and there are decisions being made you know because i think that the crime puts the stakes in everyone's face as well you know like it it really does it it, it has this kind of focusing effect which i think is really interesting um this i mean this is a terrible i'm about to do a dreadful segue but the book there are bits in the book that are funny you know mm-hmm. like there and and i mean there yeah. are a couple of characters that um you know like the whole idea of charging for fantasy you know like yeah. this white word of yeah. fantasy and you know like yeah, now it yeah. costs more kind of thing yeah. and i just i i wonder what it means to have those lighter moments in a book that is um you know ostensibly about pretty yeah full-on things yeah yeah um that was also so you know I said like there, I didn't know I didn't know very many things when I started writing the book but one was the I was not going to invent anything so anything it's obviously fictional and mm. it's obviously fictionalized and you know like Lali isn't a real person but she's so many people mm. at the same time and all of those things but uh, nothing that happens in the book is invented everything has literally happened and there's a new story about it that mm. happens in the book so nothing is invented and the second thing was that i wasn't right good so that was the first thing i was very adamant about that i was not going to invent plot points and second thing i was very adamant about is that it's going to have uh, it's it's going to have humor it's not going to have it's not going to be a doom and gloom story just because i felt like the the whole doom and gloom thing is a oppressive you know uh, it's an oppressive kind of sadness and and dejection but also also that's not how life is 
that's just that's just very unrealistic and that's a very that's again a trope that's again an expectation that's again a a, a middle class english fiction reading readers expectation of how sad life must be if you've been trafficked as a child in a you know in one of the poorest places to work as a sexual slave mm, essentially mm, mm. and it is yeah of course it is sad of course it is sad but there in you know there are there is laughter in the saddest places in the world like and it sounds very poetic but but it actually is true mm. wherever you put five humans together somebody is going to tell a joke at some point or something is going to happen and somebody's going to fight and somebody's going to sing like mm. these things are going to happen mm. and i think that it is a complete disservice to the reality of how people live in shonagachi uh that that we think that no humor can exist mm. you know because it's 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 not just sex workers who live there is their children their lovers their husbands their shopkeepers the butcher you know there's this people who live there so um So I guess you know I guess that's that that was um it, it had to be humorous but also like I think I mean I think Indians are very funny like because we're not you know like we we're, we're very nosy <laughs> we're very nosy <laughs> we we say what's on our mind we're very rude <laughs> as well <laughs> and I think that that makes for a lot of humor you know like and also like and I think people are actively looking for humor mm. I think people are actively looking for some something funny something to stare at something that's just even if it is like borderline spectacle worthy you will have an audience of people staring at that's what happens in in cultures that are not heavily bound by a sense of etiquette you mm. know mm. Mm. people people do those things um and a lot of the humor i suppose comes from tilu mm. in mm. in mm. the novel and tilu is a Til- Tilu is a self insert like Tilu is a self parody so people may not know about th- but Tilu really is uh Tilu is the hero of my extremely very literary novel that I was writing that was boring <laughs> me to tears and and he used to be a very serious like you know writer in the in that in that um dead novel but when I started writing this he became a caricature of of uh, of the character but you know in many ways that is a self parody because you know me trying to be this like literary writer <laughs> so i and, and i think there is there's a lot of humor and joy and um in, in self parody as well you know like all these things that we do as writers like all these little uh little narcissisms and this little uh egomania <laughs> we have of like being like you know like oh my god like people one day people <laughs> are going to be like <laughs> just like looking at me and think oh my god you're the greatest writer of your generation <laughs> it's just i think i think there's so much so much laughter and if you can't laugh at yourself like what's the bloody point <laughs> it's so true and i think like just listening to you like i totally agree like i think that sometimes when we take the humor off people it's quite a dehumanizing thing isn't it yeah. you know it's kind of like oh you couldn't possibly you know and and you know a sense of humor seems to be an incredibly human intelligent thing yeah yeah and also like i mean gosh that writing a writer that i mean the 
I hope it's not spoiling, but the fact that this is a person with a relatively successful um, erotic, you know, it's erotic novels that he writes, and then we get this insight into the industry, and there's the hilarious bit about covers, and like, you know, it is just, it's so interesting. Like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how much research you did on that, but that was very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a ton of research into it, but but it is like, you know, this is, this is how porn used to be mm. in India before people had screens because I also like see I, I come from a generation that's this sort of like seen this sea change mm. you know like I mean my our family was one like my mom used to say oh we're you know we have a color tv like that's a big like you know it's a big deal like we had a color tv like people didn't have color tvs most houses didn't have tv mm, you know mm, for mm. a long time and then like and from that to smartphones is a huge sea change so before you had this portable device for porn and obviously you know anything new you give humanity you're gonna watch porn on it right <laughs> like i mean this everything is is either you either drink smoke or mate with it yeah, like yeah. it is like it is pretty much the three things humans do yep. <laughs> so before we had all these screens and you know an mms and you know whatever porn like that like uh, the poor man's porn was these um little erotic cheaply published mm. um, novels you mm. know so and and i've seen i've like even i've seen them um, when I was doing my bachelor's and like you know was just and they're they're this highly Sanskritized they're written in this like really high flown Sanskritized Bengali like very um, old e old like e old English types mm -hmm. and um, have this like obviously like completely ridiculous storylines and, <laughs> and and there are so many people who who've just like got their vocabulary mm. from those books you know mm. because it's also it's also a matter of literacy like it's just also how those books sort of you know um uh, make literacy and one of the characters Bhaga who's the publisher's assistant and um Tilu's uh, number one fan <laughs> is, is basically his entire education has been has been uh, has has come from these um these erotic novels yeah yeah and so, uh, oh sorry what were you gonna say no I was just I was just saying it was just like a little little detour because <laughs> <laughs> I must ad, I, I must admit that um this is probably my um misunderstanding but it seems like um yeah this is probably just my complete un misunderstanding as you know um someone that lives over here but it seems that publishing in India is really huge similar to like when we were in Japan like people would say to me oh the books the physical books did and then we would just go to these massive places that just sold these books that looked like they were used in that way where you would read them on the train and then you might throw them out or you might do something with them is that is that wrong like it just feels like the publishing industry and the writing industry and like so many magnificent writers are coming out of India is is that right or am I getting a skew kind of look no, at it no India is is I mean I, I don't want to name numbers because I'll probably be wrong about it but <laughs> it's it's in the first five uh, biggest book markets in the world mm, mm. Um, because I mean because of obviously sheer numbers and in you know as you can like the big five big four they all have offices there and that's just the English publishing industry yeah, yeah. to say nothing of every because every language 
and india has many many of them like most established languages are obviously you know like not for dialects or indigenous languages because you know indigenous languages always get the shortest end of the stick but um for established regional languages of which are many 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 um there is each long literary traditions mm, mm. so there is publishing history in each language so that's what 70 <laughs> 22 official languages or something like that so so if you look at it that way and and to say nothing of the book piracy because we also pirate very well <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is all this the second hand book market like yeah. there is like literally no big city where you where there aren't at least 10 different spots for um getting second hand books mm. you know mm. i def- i mean uh i started getting into irish literature because of second hand books mm. because of the sheer number of second hand ed- edna o'briens that you could buy from a footpath and mm. but yeah i mean no i think i think that the i think taken as a whole publishing in not just english in every language plus second hand books plus you know yeah i think it's 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 a lot of books yeah cuz it just seems i don't know like it just blows my mind like every time i um think about it like it, cuz it's not just one um monolith you know what i mean like it's yeah. not i think um I don't know. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I think sometimes in English it's like the only thing we separate is by genre, but it, this yeah. exciting idea that you know there can be cultural differences as well as um language differences as well as you know like this idea of um the erotica written and or the porn written in that certain way and I don't know, like it just seems very interesting to me. I don't know. It it, it blows my mind. Um I am I I know that I've been asking you for lots of um I'm loving it. Oh so. good. I feel like I'm asking I'm I'm I I'm, could go on forever. <laughs> I really love it. Um one question I was really interested in was um and I think you get asked this a wee bit because of the demonetization decisions around writing right now if you know what i mean and like it sounds like the demonetization you couldn't ignore that yeah but i'm just yeah. wondering what is it to write a a contemporary novel if you know what yeah. i mean yeah yeah no i've never been asked that oh, before okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah i know i i kind of I'm very I think I'm I'm basically a, a, an old white man inside <laughs> basically. <laughs> I, it's it's I, it's my spirit animal. That's what I identify with really deeply. Is there something really deeply stick in the mud about me? Like yeah. as, as more time goes on, I think that the older I get, I get more liberal <laughs> and just live with more easy going. I was way worse when I was younger. A very like it has yep. to happen this way. Yep. But, um but yeah I I I hate change I hate <laughs> writing contempt I don't want to talk about texts in my yeah. novel like yeah. I'm like you know this all this new things about you know writing books with emails and tweets and I'm like mm-hmm. 
in my day, in my day, in real literature, this this does not happen. (laughs) I have this thing about it. But I mean, I kind of, I've come to this like sort of grudging admiration for books books like that. So I I didn't want to particularly write a book about the now. But just because it just because it's really hard to do i think if you're really honest with yourself like it's really hard to do you could come off as twee or you could mm. come off as just i don't know just trying to be cool when you're not like i mean most writers are not cool enough to pull it off like let's be honest i'm definitely not like very few people are genuinely cool enough to like pull that off and if they were that cool they'd be like pop stars why would you be a writer like we're not glamorous people (laughs) but um yeah so i didn't want to but like it is when you're trying to to be as real as you possibly can be or as authentic as you possibly can be there's just no denying you know but they're also very interesting in themselves like what's what happens with with technology Mm. because again like technology is that other thing you know like like porn sex like anything new has an impact on um love sex and death Mm. Mm. And food, mm. Mm. like any new thing that that has happened in human history, sort of. So same with technology. So, so you kind of have to think of what technology does to organize sex work. Um, and demonetization was a political event, obviously, but it tied in with technology. Mm. It could not have been done if there was not technology, and because of technology, it changed. Well, yeah, money. Mm. And that's the basic reason people are, the organized sex work is sex work, Mm. you know, money. But also how people organize. Like there are two things there. Like one is getting paid and value and money and building wealth and wages and salary, the earning end of sex work. And the other is the organization of sex work mm, mm. or organization of activism. Mm. Or, or when I say organization of sex work, I mean, um, so now WhatsApp is huge, especially in India as well. Um, sex work, like, so their clients are with them, you know, on WhatsApp. Mm, mm. I mean, earlier we were paying by um sorry per text you know when we first had this technology and now it's sort of free Mm, and like mm. uh, by the way data in india is like so much cheaper than here like it is like is the price of gold in new zealand for some (laughs) reason data when you have to buy it but in india you just sort of get 2gb for free every day it's like a basic plan so you just never need to buy anything so so i'm just saying that people like just just the amount of technology that seeped into sex work at all levels um is quite mind blowing yeah and and there's that great thing in the book where there is like this new sort of organization around yeah. it happening but then there's yeah. the very old you know where you just arrive and see if um the person yeah. you want to see is ready kind of thing and yeah. i think that that's something really well handled in the book like it, it's it's very it, it builds this tension if you know what it like literally yeah. because 
you know, um, Taylor wants to see the person, yeah. but the person is now being organised in a different way, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. And I don't know, it's just, it, and this, I think, is the reward of writing the contemporary, because I think it's yeah. almost like that old school letter writing thing or you know like not getting the letter in time kind of thing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something about the way that you use technology that means that it's not an it's not fixing anything it's kind of creating problems if you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah. I think it's really yeah clever. I mean it changes the entire tapestry mm. like it just mm. changes everything like mm. Uh, including how because activism is a very big part of shunakachi and mm. and it's also like how people are organizing and when i saw like how people are mobilizing so there is a rally it's going to come to you in a whatsapp mm. rather mm. than people going door to door and mobilizing for mm. example you mm. know so it affects money it affects uh, organization or also affects safety you know it's mm. just a very important thing that that now like obviously you know when the women goes on um like you know house calls how they call it they they go off station they're not in shonagachi they go to either the guy's house or they rent a hotel or something they have these signals on the whatsapp you don't hear back from there so if, if i text this then this is what it means and that's that was not possible before you had the the portable smartphone mm. you know mm. um pictures have now replaced the 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 catalog the catalog or the photo album that pimps used to so uh, you know pimps what is their new function was the new mm-hmm. function of the brothel owner so a lot of things just like the the, the pitch gets completely skewed Mm. when you put something as heavyweight as technology it affects every single part of it mm. so yeah so i guess like i guess there was there was no way to write it otherwise mm. but then also you don't want to write it like because i'm you know because the pandemic has changed things mm. you know like it's just like it's about how contemporary are we also going to be and i think it sometimes it just has to be like led by the book mm yeah yeah it's got to be led by yeah. the story as well because not every story needs to be also a contemporary mm. story mm. um but but sometimes it's it's unavoidable mm yeah I love that. And I was just thinking like this idea, I've heard you speak before about space and how, um, you know, um, women and gendered bodies, uh, you know, some spaces are off limits for them and that kind mm. of thing. And I was just thinking about, I know this makes me sound really old, but that idea of virtual space, like this thing you're mm. talking about, like mm. where I can have a network of people that aren't physically here with me, but will be keeping an eye on me. Like it's, it's a mm. really... It, it, it is like that and that's what I think works so well in the novel is that it sort of is very set in place but also sort of explodes out into this virtual space which I think is really really great yeah it's really great mm. um can I we are just about um at the end which is a shame but I mean we can talk again it's great <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's great that I know you I feel very grateful <laughs> to know you um but one thing that I have been asking everyone and I don't think I wrote it when I emailed you I, people are going to think I'm I do this on purpose but I totally just forget <laughs> um it's just around how to sustain ourselves as a writer like this this work sounds well just from reading it I get the sense that it took um, co- concentrated periods of time as well as it being written fast in the first time you know like it, it took yeah it took um 
it, it, it took time and energy and thought and research and all those things. And I just wonder, how do you balance that? And, and even now as the book, you know, there'll be publicity that needs to be done. There's, mm. there's that other work mm. that comes mm. with the book as mm. well. Like, how do we keep ourselves going as writers, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, not very well, badly, in <laughs> fact, I think, to do it very well. It's not one of the core strengths, is it? <laughs> it's, uh, but I think that, I, I, you know, I, I always was worried about it because I was like, wow, you know, I was so lucky because I literally had a, a PhD and a stipend to write this book. Uh, how am I ever going to write the second one? But you know I, I did this really bad thing where I sold the my novel when I was not really happy with it right I mean I, I passed a PhD with it so I guess I was like well somebody's gonna buy it and pick it or bought it um, the first time round, and then I was like I don't really want to publish it it's bad so so I went and changed everything everything from the third chapter onwards is different <laughs> to the one that that my my editor in Picador bought like she she could have just just sent me surprise sent me back on my way and asked for the advance back honestly but I did this really bad thing where I was like yeah I don't want it I don't want it can I just write you a different book and basically wrote a completely and the same character is just a completely different story mm. from third chapter onwards uh but and, and the funny thing is that I did all of that actually in in New Zealand mm. sitting mm. in New Zealand so mm. I've actually written and rewritten this because I sold the book the like in the first few months in the first year when I moved to New Zealand and then I went and changed all of it also in New Zealand so in a way like when I used to worry about that I just realized that and I've had like I have had a string of really shitty jobs I have to say <laughs> like so many <laughs> shitty jobs <laughs> I can't even tell you uh, including raising money for charity in street corners which uh, is yep. which is not good for your mental health let me tell you uh, so I but so I just realized that if I were able to entirely rewrite and then edit and then publish a book while having a string of shitty jobs mm, and having mm. moved to a country where I, I had I had nothing to no one that I knew mm. no one to recommend mm. me and that's often how you sort of sustain yourself you know mm. people like us we get jobs because we've been around mm. <laughs> and mm. people mm. kind of know us um that sort of thing but it was incredibly hard so I just really I mean I didn't do it particularly well like if I if I could manage my time better I would probably be not going to sleep at 3 a.m but <laughs> I couldn't manage my time so I slept at 3 a.m and yeah. and I just worked shitty jobs during the day so I think I think there is I don't think that's very sustainable, mm. but I think that I don't know that I will ever get to that point where I'm this model writer where I write, write, like, you know, like I have this like healthy balance and I wake up at a great time <laughs> and I write my five chapters. No, that's exaggerating, but I don't know, like five paragraphs. <laughs> like, I just I don't know that it's going to ever happen. You know, I think that I think there's going to be times when you're going to be just either in the thick of it or completely divorced from it 
or depressed by it mm. like mm. i don't know that our relationships to the books that we are writing are necessarily healthy yeah like either they're consuming or they're repulsive yeah. or they and and that's probably i've only written one book so i also have like zero data points so it's like i mean maybe it's different with other books like who knows you know maybe if you're actually having fun like while writing people who have fun while they're writing maybe it's different for them but um yeah i think i think but in and well, did you mean money or did you mean sustainable That, i think everything you've said is exactly what i mean you know like you've you've mentioned the jobs you've mentioned the you know the emotional pull and tug that there is with it the late nights the you know the lack of balance yeah. like one thing one thing i do want to ask you and i'm not you don't have to answer this at all i can just cut it out but this book was written you know rewritten here and yeah. then you sort of I, in my head I've got this idea of sort of taking the book home if you know yeah. what I mean like taking it to the the you know the the place where it's set kind yeah. of and I wonder what was that experience like you mean going on the book tour yeah yeah like like sort of writing it here at a distance from yeah Shonagachi and you know Kolkata and everything like that and yeah. then yeah you know like going back yeah. and saying to people hi i'm here you know like yeah. i don't know no i just want to i just want to go back to i just want to go back to the money bit as yes, well yes please Because let's talk money i like it. i always think about money like i like, i love <laughs> i love talking about money more than almost anything else i know right it's like the it, it, like my partner thinks that i'm i'm completely obsessed with money but i'm like this is the only important thing like anytime i see someone i'm like what does she do for money like <laughs> it's my first question like it's my like and if it was not a complete social faux pas i'd be asking this like, you and i are like, sisters like that <laughs> how do like... you sustain yourself <laughs> how, where is this money coming in your bank account what is your expenses i always want to know about money i mean i think that i think that um so you know so it's, i mean i guess i mean again this is the this is the old white man peeking through but it's like uh like everybody gets the same number of hours in a day you know mm. and most people do shitty jobs mm. and mm. something that that my partner once said to me is that most people are getting by in life doing something they hate Mm, you mm. wanting people to pay you because you want to do something mm, mm, so you've mm. got to work hard like and in that that made so much sense like you know we literally asking people to pay us to do something because we like to do them yeah Yeah. So it's it's I mean I'm not this is not this is not I mean this is not saying capitalism isn't completely evil. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying compared to most people we are it is a it is everybody gets the same sort of hand unless you're an uh, 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 a princess or something like i mean you get the same 24 hours you get a pretty shitty life you get a lot of bills mm. you have to like put food on the table but what we do with making art is above and beyond that mm. so it's kind of on us to find the time mm. as well mm. um in the current situation that we live in and the other thing is that i think when we make money off of writing it is worth I mean and I'm guilty of this because I'm so cheap. Uh, <laughs> but it is worth seeing it as a salary. Mm. Like you have to see it because I feel like 
at some point you have to carve that time out you have to say can i live for a year on this money yeah that i've made from this book or can i live three months on this money yeah yeah can i live six months on this money it has to be it can't be a a hobby it can't be a side hustle I like that. You know, I mean, it has to be a side hustle for a while. Mm. And then the thing is you get older or you, I mean, with your books, I mean, like your second or third, you have to sort of see it as how much money can this, this, uh, how much time does this money buy me? And then take that to write the yeah. book. Yeah. Um, because if, if it's always, because I don't think it's particularly sustainable for, unless you have a really cushy job. I mean, it depends what you end up doing. But um, I quite like the idea of taking a certain amount of time off to write a book, mm. you know. But um, we have to, and I think that our, the, the way we live now, I mean, of all the bad things, one good thing is that people do change their jobs. We're not really tied to, we're not our parents' generation of, you got one job and then you died on that job. Like yeah. we, we are yeah. used to, you know, working that way. So I think that it, it you have to sort of start thinking about how much time can I buy mm, mm. with this money. You're mm. literally buying time mm. with a certain amount of money to write a book. I love that. You're so clever. <laughs> what was the other thing you asked oh, me? Oh no, sorry. I was just asking. I, I, I think this has been amazing. Um, sorry, I was just wondering what it was like to go on tour. Oh and, yes, and yeah, yeah, bringing the book, book home. Yes, I know what you mean. I yeah, that's you know, I find that so interesting. I've just real. I mean, it's my first rodeo, first book. <laughs> completely like i'm just like this like discovering new things and it's just i i just think that writing a book and publicizing a book are two different like just so different things they've like literally nothing to do with each other you're not even the same person the person who writes the book and the person who promotes the books like it's such a scam like you're laughing it's like but i've only just discovered it and i'm like this is a scam it's not real this is not how happening like it's <laughs> who you are when you write the book how the book comes together who you are when you read and the person who's being an author is just yeah there's nothing they have nothing to do with each other strangers and um yeah and i think that writing the book here was the hardest thing to write i think away from where the story is set is temperature yeah it yeah, was yeah, yeah. so hard to yeah. write heat and sweat and dust mm sitting in wellington mm, mm. <laughs> which is it's like this most of the time i mean yeah. let's be honest like yeah. you can forget summer <laughs> yeah <laughs> very very quickly and even our summers are not that kind of summer mm, so mm. so i think the temperature was the hardest thing but you know like when you're talking about bringing the book home it's like a, you know, A, obviously, I was able to go with all the closures and everything mm. only this year mm. in March. Mm. And um, it's not a bad thing because a lot of the big festivals got, you know, pushed back and all of that. So I was at the Jaipur Literature Festival and the Calcutta Literary Meet and um, did a few events around that and the book tour. But the you see, the the world of book tours not to speak of JLF, which is an insanely luxurious thing <laughs> that is 
mind-bogglingly luxurious for some reason. Yes, this layer of luxury upon luxury. It's just like I, if I knew this was the wages of being an author, I would have done it a lot sooner. <laughs> But I mean, just generally, I mean, like JLF aside, just the world of book tour and book promotion is so different from where the book is set. Mm. Mm. You know, so in in a way, they had nothing to do with each other, and I mean, it was never bringing the book. It was nice to be an author mm. because I had sort of become a writer. If you ever become that, or however you become that, in in uh, in a virtual sense, mm. Mm. because everything I had, apart from the author copies that I received last July. I'd never felt quite like I had published a book. Like everything was mediated by a phone screen. Like yeah. you know, it's either yeah. it's a photo or it's something, or somebody's written a review. But you never, you're not, you don't. Where I live doesn't even have the book available. Mm. You know, so mm. it just it just almost feels like it's not really real. Um, I, I won an award in India. It's mm, called Tata, mm. um, the Lit Live Award, and um, the award ceremony was at two a.m. Oh. <laughs> our time. So I, I, I mean, you know, it's just churlish to be not present at the <laughs> award ceremony online if you've been shortlisted. So I, I made the effort, and like you know, woke up at like two a.m. and I was oh. put on some makeup. <laughs> It was also video, <laughs> and I was convinced for some other for for some reason that this other author was going to win the win the award. Like I was convinced. Like I don't know why. Like sometimes you get this notion, mm. and you're like, yeah, that's definitely that's happening. I think yeah, of course X is going to win it. I don't even know why they're wasting my time. Mm. So I was like, I had a very grumpy face on <laughs> when they announced my name, and I was like visibly startled. I was like, what is happening? And it was like 2 a.m. when this happened. So I, then I went to and then, like I went to bed. My partner was like, oh, what happened? I was like, oh, I won the award. He was like, what really? He was like, yeah. I was like, Like, oh god! And then we both went to sleep. And the next morning, I woke up and I was like, "Was that real? <laughs> yeah, did like, that did happen? that happen? <laughs> like, did I entirely dream that thing? Because it's just so virtual. So, yeah. so it was nice to be an author where the book was a real thing. Mm. Mm. Being in the same geographical space where the book also existed as a geographic, as a physical reality, mm. like very weirdly. Mm. Uh, but in a way, it didn't feel like, you know, it didn't feel like I had gone back to the milieu of yeah. where the book is set or mm. or lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, that is such an amazing story about the late night thing. That is incredible. Um. <laughs> I think I'm at the end, yeah, and I want to so say much. thank you. You are amazing, but I do want to just ask one thing: like you're yeah. having a little bit of a launch party. I am having a launch party. Yay! Yes. So, um, that's in Wellington. What date is that? It is September 13th. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a Tuesday. It's at Vic Books. Yeah. In Kelburn, we're launching my book and the Verb Readers and Writers Festival program. Which I also worked on this year, and which was a joy to do. So, since it's all the same funnel, please do come over. Ah oh, man, thank you so much for your book. 
Um, thank you so much for your chat. It's all been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Pat. Thank you.